Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Scott Oots with SJO Investments, and he came in from Corona, California to share how he went from flipping cell phones to doing 150 plus deals a year in Southern California, where I think those fees are pretty healthy in Southern California as well, so I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Kicking my butt in, yeah, they're not bad. <laughs> in units and volume. Um, so if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the OfferFast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. So if that's something you want to do, let's connect on Instagram. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask is what it costs for you guys to listen to the show. I need to reach more people and we need to get in order to do that. We need to get more subscribers on YouTube. So I need you guys right now, click subscribe, click on the bell. And uh, as you watch and listen to this episode, that way we can reach more people on YouTube. And if you, get, if, you have a, if you hear something here that you think will help a friend, please tag them on the show. Uh, that way we can all grow together. And don't forget, this is a live show, so please post your questions for Scott to answer. And we already have some questions that were submitted last night as well. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Hey, Steve, we're on YouTube, just FYI. So for me, um, I was looking at being a real estate agent years ago. And that's the really? route I was going to go. Then my friends that were agents, I kept seeing them take their Saturdays and Sundays and sit in open houses, hoping people come. And I, for me, I said, that is not something I want to do. I want my weekends. I want to do things. I don't want to be sitting in an open house. Um, so it was actually while I had my cell phone business, we we found Sean Terry online. Okay. And when we found him, I'm like, who is this guy? And started listening to him, kind of learning what he had going on. And I'm like, what is this real estate wholesaling? So uh, we started looking into that, started watching Sean's videos, joined it, Flip to Freedom, and from then on, just jumped right into it. So, so when, when was that approximately? Uh, that was almost five years ago now. Really? Yeah. Okay. So uh, when we were at WeLive, you mentioned a story about flipping cell phones. You want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an opportunity that kind of just fell in my lap. I guess, I guess like wholesaling in a way. Um, I was working for a company, and uh, it was a cell phone company at the time. And I started realizing how much money was, or how many used cell phones were coming in. Mm -hmm. And those cell phones were being repaired by places, sold on eBay, Amazon. And I said, if they can do that, why can't I? I mean, I've never repaired a cell phone in my life. <laughs> um, so I started going and buying cell phones a few at a time. And then pretty soon I was buying batches of $150,000, $200,000. Um, so I had all this inventory. Really? We were running this out of my house with just myself and my wife. We did. Uh, when we got when we decided to end that business, it was almost 4.5 million in revenue. Wow! Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad little business for being a home. But we also had a good security system in our house because we had 250, 300 thousand dollars in phones in our house. <laughs> We're literally just shipping stuff out every single day. Um, it was a good little business, but it was mind numbing. We're sitting here at a table like this, chargers all over the place, all these phones charging. You hear the noises of them turning on. You're testing to make sure the speaker works. Hello, hello, like listening to it. You're <laughs> testing a phone call by putting in a SIM card, clearing all the data out of it. And as you start doing that hundreds of times a day, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't, and the paychecks were great. And I always said, I didn't care what I did if I made a lot of money doing it, I would keep doing it. Mm -hmm. That changed. I said, I can't do this anymore, I can't. Well, what were you so, making when you decided you couldn't do it anymore? Uh, my checks every month were probably like 80 to 90 grand. That's pretty good. It was great. So, but you couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. Okay. And people are probably listening, going, "You're an idiot." Uh, <laughs> but 
it comes down to you have to enjoy what you do. Absolutely. And I did not enjoy it at all. Uh, there was a lot of changes to phones that were coming out at that time where I decided, do I want to try to have someone run the business? Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? And I just made the decision to close it down at that point. Uh, I mean, I ran the thing out of my house. There wasn't a ton of value in the business. I could go sell it to someone for millions of dollars. So it was more a hobby. Right. You know, if I wasn't there, if I went on vacation, the business didn't run. Yeah. So that was what started to scare me a little bit. I didn't want to sit at home and never take a vacation. Yeah. So I love traveling. So uh, I said, let's do something where we can set up for success, mm -hmm. where we can actually go and travel and have the business running while we're gone. Right. So that was so, our whole goal. So that's when you started looking at wholesaling. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you went, you, you're listening to this guy, this podcaster, who's going to be on the show in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and he's talking about wholesaling mm -hmm. and you attend Flip to Freedom, you said? Uh, I joined his academy online. Okay. Yeah. And then after I joined the academy, I got a call from someone in his office, that sales call. Uh, and I went for it and I went ahead and did coaching with Sean. Mm -hmm. So when I did that coaching, it basically took my business from day one to probably six months in uh, by the time I left his office. So yeah. that, to me, that helped a lot. Coaching is so important. Learning is so important. Um, now you look at it even almost five years later, there's so many opportunities on YouTube to learn these things, mm -hmm. but I wanted to learn it all right then. And I right. wanted to learn as fast as I could. So I knew I had to go to the person that was doing it. Mm -hmm. So literally went and sat with him in his office for two days and just was immersed in everything. Left there with everything set up that I needed to go start my business. So put it in context for some of these guys, cause you know, there are people that say, that are slamming, you know, gurus, Yep. right? So mm -hmm. you decide I'm gonna go spend two days with this guy what did you invest? Do you remember? It was a lot of money. Um, I don't know if Sean would want me to say. Okay. So <clears throat> I won't say it, but it was it was a lot. It was substantial. Um, it was substantial for two days. Okay, um, but you felt like you sh you cut off six months on your learning curve. Yeah, honestly, if I would have not done that and would have focused on trying to learn YouTube videos, mm -hmm. be more self-taught in it, I think I probably would have been half the business I am today. Gotcha. And that so it was a big deal. I mean, investing in coaching and mentorship and stuff like that. I know we have a lot of the guru stuff people talk about these mm -hmm. days, but if that helps get you to that next level, you don't have to follow everything they teach you. Right. You can follow a certain part of it and then go off on your own from the rest. I don't do everything that my mentor did in the business. Mm -hmm. I do things quite differently. Right. I share ideas with him now. He shares ideas with me and I do things completely different than he showed me. But it gave me the knowledge I needed to be able to step into there quickly right. versus basically saying, okay, I'm gonna watch a video tonight from 10 to 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. and tomorrow morning I'm gonna make some cold calls. It literally got me into the business. Yeah. So, so uh, your first six months, were you closing deals? We were. Yeah, when I got back from doing that training, we closed a deal within two weeks. Uh, I think my first deal was 4,200 bucks. So, two weeks? Yep. Wow. It was quick, very quick. That one was off of uh, Google AdWords. Yeah. So 42, 42.44, um, small deal. It was a hassle. I had no mm -hmm. idea what I was doing. You know, you can have someone train you until you actually get in front of that seller and you're right. like, oh wait, where's that person to help me now? <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, it was fun. I mean, you're always yeah. gonna remember your first deal. Right. Um, and that was, that was a good time to learn that. And then we just started duplicating it from there. Mm -hmm. So I think we did in the first six months, we did around 300,000 right in there. Wow. Um, and then just from there, it went up. I mean, in our first 12 months, we did 1.5. Yeah. So definitely was was big. And that's when I started hiring a team is right around that point. That's so, incredible. So then what were some of your early struggles in starting? Gosh, what wasn't? Um, 
everyone has this picture that when you start something, like they look at me and they look at you mm -hmm. and they assume that we're just automatically successful with things. <laughs> it's That's not the case at all. Uh, yeah. The struggles we went through, I mean, you send out mail and you don't get a response. How much money did you just waste it? Or how much money did you waste? Thousands. You've, get, you've got so many things. Google, you have the wrong keywords on. Next thing you know, you just wasted five grand. So it all comes down to making sure you have check and balances in your process to make sure that you're really looking at things and saying, all right, before I do this, am I mm -hmm. doing it right? Don't be in such a hurry that you waste money. Yeah. I was in a hurry. Mm -hmm. I wasted so much money. I pulled mail lists. Could and be I just because said, you're mail. a personality type. Exactly. I'm very ADD, <laughs> very type A. I'm like, all right, let's just get this done. I want the all success right. now. Yeah. But that's not the case. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't. So I had to pull myself back and say, okay, instead of just pulling a list and dropping it, I needed to actually look at the list. I need to make sure that these addresses were all good. I needed to go through all this to make sure that I wasn't just wasting a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, calling people back was a big mistake of mine. I'll call them tomorrow. No big right. deal. Well, you lose your customer. Mm -hmm. You realize speed is so important in that stuff. So from that, I started developing processes. And right. as I started getting follow-up processes in place, I started realizing my business was just growing tremendously. But the thing I want people to understand, while my business was growing, there's still negative months that occur. And that's so important for people to understand. It doesn't just keep going up like this. Business does this. It's a roller coaster. It's kind of like uh, MC Hammer, right? <laughs> you think the party's never going to end? Right. You're going to keep making multi multi million uh -huh. dollar number one hits. Yeah. And that's not reality. The reality is mm -hmm. you're going to have your bumps and bruises. You are. And you have to be prepared for it. I still do. Yeah. And that's the thing is even where I'm at right now. I mean, just last week we got a problem. Buyer backing out of a property, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I mean, that happens still. Right. Your problems just get. Your problems change. You work, you knock one down. It's like that whack-a-mole game, right? Mm -hmm. You knock one down and boom, there's your next one. But you have to just step back and look at every problem. I've had, um, originally, when we started looking at problems, we said, okay, here's the problem. We're gonna start from scratch and figure out how to solve it. Well, once you step back and you start saying, okay, what if we had happened similar to it in the past mm -hmm. that we can model this after? And we can go ahead and say, okay, well, when, this, when something similar happened, we did A, B, and C. Does that apply to this? Yep, okay, let's try it and see what happens. And you start finding solutions to problems faster without the franticness. <laughs> you know, everybody running around the office like something's on fire. Yeah. Um, so we're very good at problem solving now because of these and we had problems a lot of practice. occur. Yes, and problems occur all the time. I'm sure as I'm sitting here with you right now, something's <laughs> happening that I'm gonna hear about later. Uh, it just well, happens. And I think the, the thing to, to put in perspective is like, yeah, you're, you're gonna have, um, you solve this problem, you're going to have the next problem. But what happens as you scale is they become more difficult and more complex. Yeah. And more expensive. And more expensive. <laughs> but that's part of mm -hmm. the journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun ride, though. It's a fantastic yeah. ride. Uh, so there's, I don't know all the big players uh, in, in Southern California. Um, I know Todd was on the show, but I think he's more in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Uh, so why don't you talk about how your business is different? Because I've heard people say California is too difficult, it's too expensive. Yeah. How is your business different than your peers? How are you able to survive mm -hmm. that? So as I talked about processes before, when we started getting processes in place, we started realizing that we can be better in our competition. Mm -hmm. Because I was actually at a meetup last night and we're sitting and I was presenting this basically, that most businesses, when a call comes into their business, they'll call them back the next day. 
Maybe. Mm -hmm. Or the following day. They're not thinking that customer is probably calling somebody else. Now, when you talk to that customer, are you continuously following up with them? Maybe they were interested right then and they want to sell their house. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were just feeling you out, but you can see that they actually want to sell. You see motivation. So at that point, you see the motivation, but they're not ready today. You can't force that person to sell, right? If they're not ready, they're not going to. Mm -hmm. People can say, oh, I could with my sales tactics. I mean, if they're not ready, they're not ready. Right. So most people take that person and they'll say, hey, I'll follow up with you in a month. And they don't. Yeah. They follow up with them in six weeks, eight weeks. The house is already sold. Right. So if we tell someone we're going to follow up with them in a month, we're going to set a reminder three weeks out and we're going to give them a call a little early. Yeah. Hey, just wanted to call you. Uh, I know I said I'd call you in a month. I think it's been about three weeks, actually. But I know I'm a little early, but, you know, want to see if anything had changed. And if the customer says, oh, no, not quite ready yet. OK, well, then I was supposed to call you next week anyway. So I'll just keep that on my calendar and I'll just reach back out to you. Yeah. It's not a forced call every time. Mm -hmm. You're building rapport. When that person picks up the phone, you're saying to the person, hey, how are you? Oh, good. How are you? Oh, weekend's coming up. You have big plans? Mm -hmm. And you're just you're starting that conversation with them. And pretty soon they're like, wait, who are you? And you're like 10 minutes into the call. Right. It's like, oh, hey, we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, potentially purchasing your house. And um, those are the things that we do differently. We look at the customer service aspect over everything else. Yeah. Because the customer service has gotten us deals for less than our competitors have offered. So if you're nice to your customer and your customer likes you, They'll basically give you money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sounds That's, good to me. <laughs> that sounds great. Very good. Yeah. Um, now, you guys are doing a lot of uh, direct mail or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do about, I think we're doing about 45000 a week between Dallas and California. Wow. So it's quite a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, there's people out there doing plenty more, but uh, we, we make it simple. We don't start putting perfume on letters. We don't start sending red envelopes around Christmas or green envelopes around Christmas. We don't start doing that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I send one postcard and that's the same postcard I'd sent for the past almost three years now. We haven't changed it and it works just fine. Well, you're pretty well branded if you haven't changed it. I mean, why change it? It works. Yeah. So um, there's so many people that think, okay, mail one, I have to send this postcard. Mail two, I have to send this one. Mail three, I have to go to a letter. Mm -hmm. Mail four is around Valentine's Day, so give me that red envelope on there. Put a heart on the outside so they open it. It's just, you don't have to do that. You don't. Yeah. Stop well, overcomplicating. It makes it more complicated, yeah. yeah. Everyone overcomplicates marketing. Yeah. All you need to do is get in front of the seller at the right time. That's all it is, and that goes with cold calling, texting, anything. The seller, you need to get in touch with them at the right time. And here's the trick. We don't know what the right time is. Right. It just has to be a coincidence that it's a good time for that seller and they're willing to talk to you. And that's what it is. You uh, shared a story when we were in Dallas. Uh, it was an impactful story. I think it was Vegas, mm -hmm. an event in Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, something that drives you, you want to talk about? Can you, you feel comfortable talking about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Um, so it was two years ago almost now, uh, Route 91 in Las Vegas. They had the uh, country concert there right on the Las Vegas Strip. And that's the one where someone started shooting. So we were there with, God, I think 10 friends um, right around that time. And basically someone up in the hotel room decided to start shooting down in the crowd. We heard it, thought it was fireworks. Um, definitely changed my life. Uh, luckily, our friends came out okay, um, but a lot of people died. Mm -hmm. So we look at it and we're like, the stuff we saw there is stuff that we don't want to remember, but it's stuff you always will remember. Right. And at that point, 
you know, everyone always says have your why in your business. You mm -hmm. know, that's that's so important to know why you get up every day, why you go to work, why you do what you're doing. And for me, my why was so much different. I wanted to make money. And I was told once, your why can't be you want to make money. It's my why. Don't tell me what my why can be. I want to make money. That's it. Um, but at that point, I said, you know what? Like my wife was there with me. I said, man, if something would have happened to me, I need to know that she's taken care of. Mm -hmm. So my why shifted to making sure that I built something. I build something that I can pass on to family. I build something that will take care of my wife if something ever happened to me. I mean, you look at that. I call it like a freak accident, but it was on purpose by someone, right? Mm -hmm. But just the fact that we were there, out of all the places we could have been, we were there. What if it had been worse, right? What if I was one of those people mm -hmm. that I wasn't so lucky? And you look at the stories, you know, you read through the stories of all the people that passed away and you say, wow, those people had family, they had lives, they had people they left behind. I want to make sure that if something happens, my wife can carry on. All right. And she's not struggling to make a house payment. She's not, you know, struggling for those things. So that was what drove me after that event. It was just, it was so important. And I saw a mind shift in a lot of my friends too after that, just because when you go through something like that, it's just, you try to move on from it and you can move on, you can run your life, but still at a certain point, you're like, man, it's eye opening. Yeah. It, it was definitely a, a big thing. And it's definitely not, I mean, I can talk about it and everything, but definitely some of the images are not images I want to share. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what changes? Cause obviously you had a shift in your focus, mm -hmm. shifting your why and yep. purpose. So what changes did you implement? after So that? what I started doing is I started delegating more of my responsibilities. I started training more of the things that I was doing that I've held on to mm -hmm. just because, um, and I was able to delegate those out to other people making sure that I had the right team in place so I can be here doing things like this and know that my company is running. Yeah. So that's a perfect test that if something ever happened to me, I know my team can continue the operations of the business and the business can go on. Therefore, the nine people I have in my office don't lose their jobs either if something happens to me right. because I care about them like family as well. So I started making sure that there wasn't anything that had to be on my plate that everyone in the company knew how to do everything that I knew. And to some people, they say that's scary. Mm -hmm. Oh, your team could just go off and start their own business. They sure as heck can. They could. But each of them knows certain things. Mm -hmm. It would take the entire business to go off together, walk out, and go put all those things together needs to be without missing a step. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, plus, they have to have the money to go do it. Yeah. You know, and um, I've got a great team in place. They're very loyal to the business. Mm -hmm. I'm very loyal to them as well. We yeah. take care of them. Yeah. So. I met Lindsay in Dallas and then mm -hmm. Vanessa and Mike. Yeah. In, uh, in uh, was it Huntington Beach? Yeah. 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 When we were there for our mastermind. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's a quote. I think it's Jim Rohn. Maybe it's not. It's like, what happens if you train them and they leave? Mm -hmm. And the question is, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? Yeah. Right. That's perfect. I've heard that before. Yeah. And it's so true. It really hits home because, you know, Mike has been a huge part of my business. Mm -hmm. He, every one of my business reports to him now. So I look at that and say, he is a main hub in my business. People go to him before they go to me because Mike comes to me. Yeah. You know, I don't really believe in the whole chain of command thing. If someone's got to come to me, come to me, do it. My door's always open, yeah. but they know that they report to Mike and Mike can solve most of those situations. Yes, he can go off and run his own business, but that's why you take care of the people you have. Right. I don't want that thought to cross his mind because I want him to say, you know what? Scott's taking care of me so well here that I wanna stay here. 
Yeah. And our mentality in our office is very strange. We have, we're very <laughs> high energy. We're, it's, it's very weird. We throw footballs around. We literally have uh, punching bags in there. Yeah. I mean, we, we have different things we do. We ring the bell like crazy every time we get a contract. Mm-hmm. Our morale is over the top. Yeah. Sometimes a little too much. But it makes people not be afraid to come to work, right? Yeah. When they wake up in the morning, they don't go, oh, man, here we go again, mm-hmm. eight hours. They come in and they have friends in the office. Yeah. So they're almost hanging out with their friends all day long, but they're getting done the stuff they need to get done. And right. if they don't get it done, they're such good friends that everyone can give them crap for it mm. and they'll do it better next time. Yeah. So. Uh, so talking about deal flow, I know you, you did like 150 in the last year. Mm-hmm. Like how much are you getting to like consistently? Are you guys locking up on a monthly basis? Um, on average, I think we're like 12 roughly mm-hmm. per month. Um, that's before we launched Dallas. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dallas is probably going to add another in the next few months, probably 10 to 12 to that as well. Yeah. So for us, we don't focus on getting 100 deals a month. I'd rather have 12 deals and have larger spreads on the deals. Yeah. So less work for us, right? Uh, so we get larger spreads on our deals to make up for that. I know a lot of guys are like, hey, I do 50 deals a month. Fantastic, but they do it at like $3,000 spreads. Yeah. We might do 12 deals, we might do $70,000 spreads. I would rather have that. Oh, and that's yeah, for what sure. I said. Yeah, that's what I said. But on the other hand, when you lose one of those deals, it hurts a lot more mm-hmm. than losing a smaller deal. Uh, do you guys have a targeted fee you guys are going after? So <clears throat> we want to try to get a minimum $30,000. Um, and there's exceptions to every rule, right? If yeah. something happens, we don't want to back out on a seller. So if it comes down to be 10 grand, whatever, we'll close it. Right. Um, but I mean, like I said, our average is really hitting 70 at this point. Um, we would like to start getting wow. 70, but uh, we have one guy dragging that up and mm-hmm. two other guys that are a bit lower. So we start bringing those guys up, it's going to bring that number up too. Yeah. But we've increased our wholesale spread year over year. Uh, significantly in the past three years That's as we really continue impressive. to train. Yeah, it's great. Uh, how much are you guys doing wholesale? How much are you guys doing flipping? 100% wholesale right now. 100% wholesale. Yeah, we pulled out of flipping last year. Um, I love flipping. It's a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. I love taking something old and making it new. But we were realizing our wholesale spreads were getting to be so good. Like, why would we put all this money into the property and yeah. do all this work to make what we would have made on a wholesale spread? I mean, obviously we'd make a little more because we'd have the wholesale spread discount in there too, but yeah. it just didn't make sense to us. Um, and we will go back to it eventually because I do miss that component of it. That's one area that just drove me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will go back and do some of it, but right now we're focusing on what we're really good at and that's the wholesale side. Makes sense. Uh, let's see, I had a, there was a question here. Hang on, sorry. Mm-hmm. Browser screwed up. Um, so there was a question here about uh, from Brian Sammons wants to know how have your process changed from year one to today? Our processes have probably changed a million times since then. <laughs> um, basically from day one, we had no processes, right? Mm-hmm. We had to develop those. So as I started hiring people, we started building those processes in. Um, our contract changes probably every three weeks. We have a version number on the bottom of our contract. We started doing that too. Oh, it's fantastic. (laughs) Because every time somebody gets around something or something doesn't work, we go make the change. We do the same thing with our processes. So processes are the exact same way. Like Mm. they're they're not always gonna be the same or they get stale. Mm. 
-hmm. We change our follow-up processes significantly. I'm, I'm not saying daily for those. Probably every few months we're making changes to make things better for the staff. Yeah. So day one, our processes were very vague because we had no clue what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Then as we started building them, then we started encountering more and more issues. You have to fix the issue, like the whack-a-mole thing we talked right. about. So processes are the same way. I'm very detailed when I do a process. Literally click here, click here, click here. Now we have- um, You are detailed? Yeah, actually I am with that stuff. Oh, that is shocking. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> otherwise I'm way overseeing on the rest of it. Um, I like everyone to be able to take a process and know what they're doing. So yeah. we just launched uh, Trainual. Mm -hmm. um, that is awesome. That program, love it. And that's for uh, creating processes. Yeah, so well, okay. it, it holds all your processes. So you create them, you can create like YouTube videos and then tag it on there. Mm -hmm. But basically you can assign to different people in your company. So if you have like say administrative assistant, any process you have for your admin, they get assigned to her. Mm -hmm. And it tells her there's a new process assigned. Well, if she ever gets stuck, she can go in there and look at them. But there'll be like videos she needs to watch to mm -hmm. learn and it will tell me her progress on the videos. Did she watch 100% of them? You can put little tests after them if you want to, like answer these questions based on the video. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do that, but but you can do that. So as I train people and bring people on, the first thing I can have them do is sit down and start watching the trainual videos to try to get themselves at least up to the point where we can start training them. Right. So it works very well. I mean, we've, we've been impressed with it so far and uh, we're gonna continue to build on that. Gotcha. So. Um you had uploaded a contract into uh, Wholesaling Houses Elite, mm -hmm. which I basically just copied and pasted. I have <laughs> my Control C, Control V buttons are very well used on my laptop. Uh, so one of the things that I was really impressed by it was the teeth mm -hmm. in the contract. Mm -hmm. So you know, before we we're like, okay, you know, if you guys don't close, we're gonna keep earnest money. Yep. And then I saw your contract. I was like, oh, <laughs> we gotta make some changes right away. You want to talk about some of the enforcement you have? Yeah. And your assignment contract? Um, we're talking buyer's side. Uh, who you're assigning to, yeah. Okay, yeah, so on that side, we do have the earnest money deposit that goes in, and mm -hmm. that's probably six months old, I imagine. So mm -hmm. it's probably been changed four times since then. Right. Um, they put in their earnest money deposit uh, within 24 hours of signing the contract. So when they sign our contract, they should have already walked it if they wanted to. Uh, they should be 100% sure they're gonna buy that property, and there should be no doubt. Mm -hmm. So once that ink goes to paper, they're mine. Yeah, you are buying this house. Um, so they put in their earnest money, which we do eight thousand or two percent, whatever's greater. Uh, but if two percent. Yeah, we actually just changed that. Uh, oh, okay. That was a change recently. So eight thousand or two percent, whichever one's greater. Because mm -hmm. we had some more expensive houses where we needed to make people really want to close. Yeah. Um, but if they don't put their earnest money deposit in within twenty four hours, then we have the right to cancel the transaction and then they still have to send me the earnest money deposit. Now, will they? No, mm -hmm. um, but it's in there and then my attorney can draft a letter to them. Right. But usually it's enough teeth in there that makes them say, uh, maybe I should just go ahead and close this thing. Right. Um, well, the thing that stuck out to me was that earnest money was not sufficient to satisfy yes. default. Yeah, so there's, and I don't wanna act like I'm an attorney, Right. But having a lot of conversations with my attorney, there's a term called liquidated damages. Mm -hmm. Originally, I had the earnest money deposit will be the liquidated damages. But right. he said, okay, if that's his liquidated damages, that means they're only due the earnest money deposit. Well, what if I had a $100,000 wholesale fee? Mm -hmm. And then I lost that deal because the buyer didn't close. Why am I out $100,000 because of their non-performance? Mm -hmm. They need to pay me that. 
So that's why I changed the contract to say that we have the right to go after you if you do not perform. Yeah. And they'll basically have to pay all of our damages. So if it's a hundred grand, they're going to pay a hundred grand. Then we have the attorney's fees provision in there. And I always tell them, we can go to court. My contract's strong. I will win. Yeah. Oh, no, you won't. Uh, trust me, I will. <laughs> and the thing is, your money's going to be tied up because I'm going to keep your EMD tied up in escrow for the mm -hmm. next two years when we fight this thing out in court. I have an attorney's fees provision. If it costs me $100,000 to fight this, and you already owe me $100,000, and you've spent 100000 on an attorney, now you're out $300,000 because you're going to have to pay my attorney bill too. Right. So you might as well close this thing. Close it. You may not make as much money as you thought because you missed something. Mm hmm too bad. Get it done yep. versus having your money tied up. Get it done, get onto your next property and make money. All right. We both want to make money, you know? Um, so for us, we're very stern when it comes to those buyers, but they start to respect that as they come back over and over. Cause we're not have to screw anybody over. Yeah. We make sure that they have a good return on the property. That's our promise to them. Mm -hmm. Now, if they put more construction in than they should or go $50 a square foot tile, obviously they're going to have problems, but yeah. based on general construction, they should make a great return on any property we sell them. Yeah. So um, the other thing we do now is uh, late closing. So $500 a day, the buyer has to pay us. It's $500 per calendar day mm -hmm. for days they're late past the closing date. And we got to up ours. Ours only 150, shoot. Yeah, 150 wasn't enough teeth. <laughs> I'm actually going to raise it to a thousand, I think. Um, but we just, we had one lady that owes $12,000 because wow. she didn't close. So we settled with her at six and I put a note on the property to get paid. Yeah. So um, that's so important because when we make a commitment to a seller, we tell them we're gonna close on X date. If the buyer doesn't come through, that looks bad on us, right. not them. So we charge them $500 a day. And what's great is if the closing was on Friday and then it's Monday, it's calendar day, mm -hmm. not business day. Right. So she owes me for the original closing date then she owes me for Saturday, Sunday, and then they also had to pay me for the new closing date. Mm -hmm. So by Monday, they owe me $2,000. Yeah. So we always tell them, hey, listen, I don't want to charge you this, but we have dates in our contract where you have to have your escrow doc submitted. Mm -hmm. You have to have your loan doc submitted. All this stuff has to be submitted. You chose not to do it. You chose to ignore our calls for a week. We're not waiving this for you. Yeah. And they balk every time. Well, then I just won't close. That's fine. Then the $500 a day is going to continue to add up. Right. <laughs> Tell you do. So I suggest you close it now. Yeah. Um, but of course, some buyers are just like, whatever, sue me. Yeah. Then you have to be like, okay, wait a second. I don't want to sue you. I don't want to get into this. But we've had a lot of late fees. I think this year alone, we've had over 20 grand of late fees paid to us. So. Yeah. Uh, and then something you shared with me at the mastermind as well was there's a caveat that we don't have this problem in Arizona, but you guys have this problem in California mm -hmm. where if you sign the contract, you can't cancel. Like, was it like you want earnest money before you sign it? Um, for the buyer's side? Yeah. There was oh. something where like, it was just difficult to, uh, to cancel. Like you can't just cancel the contract. Like we can just cancel the contract. Oh, you're talking escrow. Yeah. So yeah, with escrow, as soon as we put the, um, the buyer puts the earnest money deposit in and we send the contract over, both parties have to sign to cancel. So let's say they don't perform and I go to escrow and say, Hey, can you release me the earnest money deposit? they send out a cancellation form that I have to sign, the buyer has to sign, and the seller has to sign. Oh, the seller has to sign Seller too. as well. Ooh. So if any party refuses to sign, we're at a stalemate. Mm -hmm. The money sits there. And we're gonna have to go battle it out in court or someone's gotta bend. Um, I've got a guy right now, he didn't perform on a property. 
Um, he knew he couldn't get any further walkthroughs. He even signed that in his contract, understanding there'd be no further walkthroughs. And uh, he came back and said, I need another walkthrough. I said, well, you literally have this in the contract here because this property cannot have one. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, okay, now I'm just not closing. And then he decided to ignore our calls for like the next week. And we said, this is bad. He's not going to close. So um, we went and had to close it with someone else. We had to open an escrow at another escrow company because mm-hmm. he wouldn't release the earnest money deposit to me. And we went ahead and closed the property, but we used another wholesaler. So we actually lost like two grand closing the property. So basically from that point, I get a lawsuit served to me saying, hey, my company didn't perform selling him the property. I said, well, wait a second. We have all these text messages, emails. Yeah. Uh, he sued my company, me personally, my dispositions person personally, and the seller personally. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So Big balls in that guy. Oh yeah. Um, so we went ahead and got, it all dropped against, we called the seller and we said, hey, this happened. I'm paying your legal fees. We're taking care of this. Um, so we got the seller dropped, me dropped, and my dispo person dropped, mm-hmm. and then it remained against my company, which is now getting dropped. Yeah. Um, but now he's getting countersued for all the attorney's fees because I have an attorney's fees provision. Right. So I think today, actually, I hope he's watching. Um, <laughs> today, actually, he's getting served with $15,000 in attorney's fees yeah. just for me, my dispo person, and the seller. Well, I'm wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Wasting my time. And then he's also now getting served with a counter lawsuit where we're going to get our wholesale fee and the attorney's fees for my company. So it's gonna have a good day today. Yeah, I mean, originally to release 11 grand that was in there, Mm -hmm. I told him, you just release that to me, we'll call it good because I don't want to do it. He's gonna owe me almost $70,000 now. Yeah. Uh, Mikey uh, Vac has got a very interesting question. If you had to pick one superpower, what would it be? Oh gosh. Oh man. I think I'd want to fly. Have you ever sat in California traffic? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I would love to be able to fly over all that and not have to sit in that. I would say I would probably want to fly over everybody at that point. That is a great question, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Eduardo Galvin wants to know, if you had to start from scratch with no money, how would you go about generating leads right now in SoCal? Knock on doors. So I always tell people to start with those cheap resources. Mm-hmm. and not just because it's no money, because it gets you experience. Yeah. So nobody likes anyone telling them no. Nobody likes that. So if you get out there, start knocking on doors, look at some houses, just knock. Start talking to the person. Because what you're doing is you're learning how to get people to say no to you and how Mm -hmm. to overcome objections. Grab a little like Apple Watch or grab, you can go with those little recording devices. Mm -hmm. Um, Record it. Go back home. Put it on your computer and listen to it. Listen to yourself. Because at that point, you're going to start seeing things that you didn't realize when you were there. And you're going to go, oh, man, I could have got this deal. Right. And you're going to start making yourself better. Forget going home and always watching guru videos. Listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Then you know what you, then you try to figure out what you don't know, right? right. You say, man, this is where I'm always getting stuck. Now go find that video. Mm-hmm. Find the video that helps you get past that point Relevance. and watch that one. Yeah, I see yeah. so many people that go home every night and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go watch videos. I get off work at five. I'm going to watch videos from six o'clock to 10 o'clock tonight. And I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow night and the next night mm-hmm. and the next night. When are you doing the business? Yeah. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> Generally not a shortage of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Claudio Diaz wants to know, what do you think the future of wholesaling looks like? Um, for me, I think there's definitely a lot of challenges that have come in. Uh, people look at the iBuyers, open door, things like that as competition. 
um, we've worked with a company like Open Door. We actually sold them a house, mm-hmm. um, which the wholesale fee was fantastic. They paid yeah. top dollar. Um, but what I started looking at is saying, they're not going for the properties we're going for. They right. have not been competition to us on any property at this point because we create the relationship, number one. Mm-hmm. Even if they go against us, they might offer 50 grand more. But in a lot of cases, we can close the gap a little bit and we can help out. We can help the seller out, but the seller wants to work with us because of the rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think definitely our, our market right now is a questionable time. Uh, it's a very strong market, but there's a lot of signs people have seen for a long time. And I've read a lot about it, but I don't know anything about it. Right. Um, I depend on other people that tell me these things. So the market <laughs> itself does, does put a little worry in me a little bit, but it also puts excitement in me because after that happens is when businesses really start to explode. Yeah. Um, wholesaling itself, I strongly believe it's not going away. I believe there will be some regulation around it as states have started to look at this more because mm-hmm. we're not real estate agents. Right. So people are starting to look at it and say, well, wait a sec, these people are doing all of these deals. So regulation will come. They sound like real estate agents. Exactly. So, but I mean, we're not going away. Yeah. There's always going to be distressed sellers that need to sell their houses. Um, we may have to continuously change our business models and how we do things to get new leads. But uh, yeah, we're definitely going to definitely gonna be here. At least I'm planning on being here. So yeah. hopefully everybody else is. Uh, Brian Davila wants to know what's your marketing budget monthly? Uh, we are spending, man, uh, I want to say we're spending about 55 to 60 grand a month on marketing and that's, that's everything it? together. Yeah. yeah well, I thought it'd be a lot more than that. Well, I mean, we have a lot, we have large spreads. Yeah. So, um, the majority of that goes to direct mail. Yeah. We have cold callers. We have texting that we do as well. We're missing a channel. Um, PPC. We yeah. got PPC too. So you guys are having luck with PPC and I wouldn't say luck. We're reviving it. We gave it CPR for about a year. Yeah. Um, revived it from the dead a few times. PPC was 99% of my business a yeah. few years back and it is now 1% of my business. So this is why you always have to diversify. Mm-hmm. I hear people say that, well, I just do RVM and that's all I'm going to do. Great. I mean, if that's what you want to do, fantastic. It's your world. But Look at it this way. You already have phone numbers because you're doing RVM. Mm-hmm. Why not cold call it too? Yeah. Utilize the data, right? Can you possibly text the person? Possibly. You already have the phone number. Is it really costing you that much more to diversify that into multiple different things? We hit every seller every way. Yeah. That person knows who we are. They know from our postcard, our text. They know all of that from us. They know who you are from your text messages? Well, when they call us, they do. Okay. We don't, we don't shy from it. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot of pissed off people, but mm-hmm. just the thing is when someone gets pissed off, you don't get pissed off back. Right. I mean, in most cases, just apologize. If the guy's screaming at you saying, Hey, how dare you text me? We had one guy that said, Hey, you texted my daughter's phone. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, we're so sorry. We didn't know. And he's like, get her off there. We said, okay, give us that number and you must be on there too. So give us your number. We'll get you removed as well. And he was, you know, at, he's like, well, okay, okay. That's fine. That's fine. And he starts giving us the stuff and he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's gone. Right. He's on our do not mail list. He's off of it. I've heard so many people in the past that say when people call in and say, get me off your list, they actually don't remove them from the list. Mm-hmm. Why not? Right. Why, why do you want to tie up your phone line with a pissed off seller every 30 days? Why? Get them off your list and open your phone lines up for the people that actually want to sell a house. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so 
someone wants to know, are you doing virtual or are you going to each home? So we made a shift late, late last year. Um, originally, our leads team would schedule an appointment in person for every single sales rep. But like I talked about California traffic, the amount of time it spends to go to some of these appointments, mm -hmm. it's not worth it. So we shifted to scheduling phone appointments versus in person. So she schedules a one hour window of a phone appointment for our sales reps. They talk to the customer, get more information out of them, build rapport. And at that point, they determine if they need to go to the house. We'll send DocuSign if possible. But on the other hand, we find that our spreads that are larger are always on the houses we go to. Yeah. If you're belly to belly with that seller and you're talking to them, you're going to get a better price. Yeah. So. I believe the same thing too. I question sometimes whether it's a limiting belief, but I mm -hmm. definitely believe the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then Jamie, I think this is kind of a similar question. What's the most effective way to market on a limited budget? Mm -hmm. Definitely door knocking. Yeah. Pick up the phone. I mean, get a list, buy the list you can afford, skip trace it, and just pick up the phone. Start calling. Yeah. Why not? Just start getting people to talk to you and you're going to start developing a lead list at that point and start following up with these people. Do not do it on an Excel sheet. Do not keep all your leads on an Excel sheet. Please don't do that. Podio, <laughs> the original, the, the small version of it is free. Yeah. Sign up for it. And I mean, it was at one point, I imagine it still is. Yeah. For like um, 500. Yeah. Up till a certain point. But yeah. then if you've already filled up the free version and you're not making money, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So you should be making money by the time you max out that free version. So sign up for it, throw all your leads in there, put tasks to follow up with people and follow up with them and make money. That's what it comes down to. Uh, Brian Samuels wants to know what would you say helped you go from 30K to 70K uh, on your fees? Oh man, Brian's just gonna dig, huh? He said it. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he said it beforehand. Just kidding, Brian. Yeah. Um, so for us, what we started doing is I talk about rapport building a lot. Mm -hmm. In the past, we'd go to the house. We'd walk the house. We'd have our checklist. Bathroom, floor needs to be replaced. Windows need to be replaced. And we were almost just walking through the house to see the house. But we weren't putting the focus on the seller. So now when we go into the house, we have that list, but it's down. We're taking just kind of mental images. Always have the seller lead you. Mm -hmm. Don't If they say to you, oh, go ahead and take a look around. Oh, you know, it'd be great if you could just show me around and then you kind of go ahead. Now what the seller's doing is they're leading you around. It gives you a chance to build rapport with them. Mm -hmm. You're not saying, oh, hey seller, oh God, this bathroom looks like shit. We're gonna have to replace <laughs> this. So instead you're saying, oh yeah, okay. So, oh, look at these pictures on the wall. Are these your grandkids? Oh my gosh, they're adorable. Do they come visit you often? Oh wow, so this house has been in your family for a while, huh? It's finding pain right there. So yeah, you're you're literally, <laughs> <laughs> you're literally just talking to them. Yeah. And you can say to them, oh, if there's anything you've always wanted to do in this house to upgrade it, what would it be? Oh, well, I really wanted to upgrade that master bath. It's just so outdated. Oh, I don't, I mean, I don't see it. I think it looks great, but I, I could, I mean, we could definitely do some update to it, but it looks great. You've taken care of it. You're complimenting them mm -hmm. versus, oh God, this looks like crap. Um, so as we you started doing that, yeah, right. <laughs> you actually, you get clean in here. Um, but that's the thing is as we start looking at those things mm -hmm. and focusing more on the seller versus the house, yeah, we'll sit there for hours and not even talk about the house. Yeah. But we know about their grandkids. We know what, when their soccer game was, we know all that kind of stuff. Now, 
that's helped us be able to justify a lower offer. As we're talking to them, mm-hmm. we're getting them to throw a number out to us, but then we're able to say to them, well, you know, you did mention that you would remodel that bathroom and we would need to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. What was that going to cost you? Oh, it's probably going to be 20 grand or so. Yeah, see, I mean, we're going to have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we are where we are. And people start going for it. Mm-hmm. But just spend the time getting to know the person, not pushing to buy the house. Yeah. Um, and then Mark Tamamic wants to know, is it possible to have a copy of your assignment contract? Yes. Um, I think it's in the Wholesaling Elite Facebook page. Um, otherwise, I have a meetup group, uh, SoCal Real Estate Wholesalers. If you look that up, just join the group. It's free. And my contracts are in there, buyer and seller. I can also give it to you, too, if you want to post it on. Yeah, I can post it in our, in our yeah. Facebook group as well. Uh, Sonia Ray wants to know, are your cold callers in-house or outside? Uh, cold callers are in the Philippines. So I actually own a cold call company. So mm-hmm. we offer those services to other people. Um, so I use the same cold callers we offer to other people as well. Awesome. At least you're using your services. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Stephen Lee wants to know, what's your best direct mail list? Uh, non-owner occupied. So, I mean, try to try to go for a distress list. If you're just getting started, I mean, non-owner occupied can be argued whether it's distress or not. Mm-hmm. So people could rent the house out. Um, so if you're starting out, I actually wouldn't go with that list. I would try to find something more distressed. Uh, there's the list stacking features out there where you can take multiple lists and marry them up mm-hmm. to find multiple levels of distress. If you're just starting limited budget, stack some lists. Yeah. You can do it in Excel. You can go sign up for a list stacking software, whatever you want to do. Um, take something like a foreclosure list and a divorce list. Anyone that's in foreclosure and getting divorced, I would say it's a pretty good distress. Yeah. Um, take those lists, put them together, and you may have... 500 people on your list, but you might have two that actually show up on there. Mm-hmm. That person's got double distress. Reach out to them. See right. what you can do. I say even start stalking them if they got three or four or five of those. Yes. Yeah. We, we stalk a lot of people apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Casey Haker wants to know if you're door knocking, do you have like a, a script, an opening line you like to mm-hmm. use? I don't believe in scripts. Yeah. Scripts sound scripted. Really? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, you I mean, someone answers the door and you're sitting here going, Hi, my name is Scott. Uh, I am with SJO. How are you? And you're looking at him. It's like, all right, I understand you can study the script and then go out and do it. You've got to be natural. Yeah. You have to literally knock on that door. You knock on someone's door and they open it. You've got probably three to five seconds. Mm -hmm. Right. So start with, hi, how are you? Yeah. Something like that. You're getting them to engage to you by asking them a question like that. How do you want to sell your house? That's nah, not going to work. No. So just do something to start talking to them. If you're really confused on going out and doing it, you can Google door knocking script and you can find some things. I don't think you should um, because then you're going to get that in your head and you're going to start wanting to do exactly as that script shows. Right. You're better off not to look at those scripts and you're better off to go out and do it. There's a lot of gurus that completely disagree with me on this subject, but nah, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Matt Smith wants to know what's the name of your cold call company. Uh, the Lead Gen Pros. So you can go to theleadgenpros.com. Uh, okay, so we've talked about your organization. We talked about, you know, you got um, Lindsay, um, Mike. What does your whole organization look like today? 
Sure. Uh, so Mike is my COO. Mike pretty much runs everything. So if we're looking at our org chart, you've got me, Mike right below me. And then from that point on, it goes over to acquisitions. So we have, what do we have now? Four acquisitions, guys. Mm -hmm. One inside, uh, three outside. Um, so the inside guy is mainly doing texting. So all day long, he's sitting there just going at it, mm -hmm. uh, talking with sellers. His goal is to build leads for the outside sales guys. But that is our stepping stone position to get to outside sales. Mm -hmm. So you put in your time, learn, understand the business, and we're literally just generating outside sales guys from this. Mm -hmm. And the guy we just moved out of that position, gosh, he was he tied to be the top salesman of the month, his first month in the position, because we do a top sales trophy every month. Mm -hmm. um, and then they went into overtime on it. The next contract wins, and he actually lost to our guy in Dallas. But for coming in, first month doing outside sales, mm -hmm. it shows that spending that time in that inside sales role immersed in everything. I mean, we put him through almost like a frat challenge. I mean, this, he is getting this shit beat out of him every day with, yeah. he has every phone call and speaker and we are talking to him. We mute it and we're like, no, you got to try this. You're pushing too hard and we're judging every phone call. I mean, this guy would leave the office, just beat. I mean, and he did this for a year. It sounds horrible. Oh, I mean, it sounds horrible, but he went from a position that was about, you know, 35, 40 grand a year. Yeah. That guy's going to make $150,000 next year. Yeah. I know it. Right. So we put the time in to train him to make sure that we got him where he needed to be. So he can go to this role and he can have financial freedom to his self. Mm -hmm. He can go out there and close deals. Yeah. So it worked doing it, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely one of those things where you, you have to definitely take a beating. You yeah. have to be someone that's willing to take advice from everybody, not just your boss, everybody, and put it into place mm -hmm. to make things work. Yeah. And then that's acquisitions. What about the rest of your operation? Uh, so outside of the acquisition side, we have uh, one leads manager in the office. She manages two VAs that are in the Philippines. They answer all of our inbound calls mm -hmm. and do uh, appointment follow-up and missed call follow-up. Yeah. Uh, then we have a transaction coordinator, which is a fantastic role to have in a business. Mm -hmm. um, she basically is the middleman between escrow and the seller. So she calls the seller as soon as we get the contract. Hey, Betty, you sold your house. I'm so happy for you. I'm Haley. I'm here to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to be your point of contact going forward. So she's so friendly, almost over the top, that it makes the seller want to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And they stop calling the sales guy. So the sales guy, he's got one job, contract signed, pass it off, right. contract signed, pass it off and keep moving on. So by passing those off to Haley, she takes care of all that. Um, and then we have uh, Brittany, who's our dispo. So she dispositions all of our properties. We actually call her a project manager, not dispositions. Sellers don't understand. When we say, oh, our dispositions person's coming out, you're what? Yeah. Our project manager is coming out. That's the best move we've made on that side of the business as far as changing the name of that position to make it so people actually understand. Yeah. And that's helped a ton. Uh, then I have a couple other companies that run out of my office, but those people aren't involved in, in this side. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, Daniel Martinez, uh, he asked, what is your formula for using for, for SoCal since it is a more expensive market? I wish I could give you an actual formula for that. Um, we work out of four different counties. So if we go out to San Bernardino County, we might have to buy as low as 50%. But if we go towards LA, we could potentially buy 80%. 
Orange County can be anywhere between 70, 80% as well. So there is no number that just works. You have to look at the area and see how popular it is. So San Bernardino, I mean, I guess I could say buy it 50 to 60% of ARV in most cases, but I don't want you to lose a house because of that. Um, Because there's so many pockets. The thing about California, it's so populated, uh, especially as you get towards LA, one house on one street could be a million dollars, but the street over is like gang area. So, I mean, that's that's the thing is there's so many variances. Mm-hmm. If you tried to go with that guru told 70% minus repairs, you'd probably do all right. Um, you definitely would do all right. So it's a good area to start with, but as you start getting knowledge, you're gonna need to start adjusting that number based on kind of just tribal knowledge over the area. Right, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, I know that you and I sometimes don't have the best filter. So, so <laughs> kick gloves on this question from Jose. Uh, he just got LLC started. What does he need to do next? So I take it he hasn't done any deals. Um, just started the LLC first. Mm-hmm. All right, let's try to take the filter off. Uh, get the hell out and do something. I mean, talk to <laughs> sellers. You can have an LLC set up. You can get your business cards all pretty make sure that the font's right and it's a little raised font so it touches your thumb so it's nice and nice thick card stock. You can focus on all that stuff or you can talk to sellers. We can start spending money on the stuff that you may need down the road or you can start talking to sellers and make the money to pay for those things. Now, I am not against setting up an LLC. Setting up an LLC to me is actually a very important thing. Absolutely. Because you can get sued, you don't wanna lose everything you have. Mm-hmm. So good move, but you have to get out there and start talking to people. It's like step eight, nine or 10. Yeah. LLC jumped ahead a little bit. Um, I hope you're talking to people as well. That's going to be important, but don't focus on the little things. The biggest thing you can do in a business, you need customers, right? I, I told my staff the other day, if they can find any business idea that does not involve customers at all, I will fund the whole thing and I'll let them run it. Yeah, it's not gonna happen, right? We have to have customers. Customers bring in our income, our customers, our seller. So get out there, start talking to people and bring in money to pay for what you paid for with the LLC. And if you bought your LLC and formed it on some online website for 400 or $500, once you start making money, take that operating agreement they gave you, bring it to an attorney and have them revise it. That's gonna be very important. So one thing you said a lot in our wholesaling uh, houses elite MM was RGA, something mm-hmm. you really harped on a lot. You yeah. want to use this platform to harp on it a little bit more? I would literally get a billboard with this on it. <laughs> um, so RGA is revenue generating activities. So basically your to-do list that you have every day, and you should have one, should have things outlined one through five, your most important, the things you're gonna do for that day. Now, revenue generating activities should be your top things on that list. Those should be the things that are gonna bring in revenue to your business, not the things that are gonna cost you money. So, now don't get me wrong, there's things you have to do eventually that aren't revenue generating, but your job is to focus your time on things like getting marketing ready to go. Marketing brings in money for you. Different things like that, that no, you know we're gonna bring in revenue for you are the things that you need to be focusing your time on. Yep, it's a very great point. Uh, Christopher Bowen wants to know, um, you got obviously an amazing portfolio or you know list of buyers that you work with. Mm-hmm. How are you loving on them? 
<laughs> guess Chris is one of my buyers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Chris. <clears throat> I take care of Chris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris actually got Lakers tickets out of me. Um, and now paying for a suite for his son's uh, baseball at the Angel Stadium. And apparently, Chris, I'm buying a table for a fundraiser in the upcoming weeks. Wow. So lots yeah. of love. Chris Chris tends to get a lot out of me. I, I don't know how he does it. He goes through Brittany, who has like this sweet voice, and she's my dispo person. Mm-hmm. She comes to me, and she's like, hey, Chris has got something. I'm like, oh, how much money is this one going to cost me? <laughs> but Chris, Chris overall is a, a great business guy. He looks at a lot of different things. Him and I just did a donation to someone in our town that needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, great guy, really good buyer for us. If anyone else on here is in Southern California and you've got properties, literally he's he's a good guy to contact because he comes through every time. So awesome. Uh, Andrew Reese wants to know who are you using for texting? Uh, Lead Sherpa. And Eugene Lee Park wants to know: Are you not doing anything in Ventura County? No, we're and not doing anything there. If he wants to JV with you, do you guys do you do JV deals? Yeah, hundred percent, we'll do that. Um, and best skip tracing service? Uh, I'm going to be biased because I own a skip tracing service. Um, so I own skiptracelists.com. Mm-hmm. And there is an S at the end of lists. There's another company out there that bought the other domain that brings you to their site. Um, use uh, skiptrace16, get uh, 16 cent skip traces. Um, any. Um, unique strategy you're using besides calling your disposition person a project manager, which I think is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, tips you have for dispositioning properties? So for us, we're about relationships. So we want to sell to the same people. We want to have buyers that come back to us over and over again. The thing that people keep doing as wholesalers, they always look for what their wholesale fee is going to be, and they don't pay attention to what the return is for a buyer. And that's really important because Mm -hmm. if we say, okay, I'm going to make $20,000 in this property, I think after they flip it, they can make three grand. It doesn't work, Mm -hmm. right? Or you see those daisy chain deals out there where someone puts out a house at 200,000, another wholesaler puts it at 220, somebody else puts it at 240, then somebody else puts it at 260, Mm -hmm. and then pretty soon you're like, the ARV is 270. It doesn't work. Um, We make sure through a calculator we have that we built to make sure that the spread works for the buyer. Yeah. The buyer has to make money. If the buyer doesn't make money, you think they're going to come back to us again? Right. Think of it like a car salesman. If you sell a $50,000 car to someone for $80,000, do you really think when they find out they're going to come back to you and buy another one? No. Take care of your customers. Your customers will come back. Gotcha. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? So for us, we're expanding markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just launched Dallas, which is taking off way faster than we even thought. Mm-hmm. But our biggest struggle is there's differences between each market. Yeah. So California is an escrow state. We use escrow and title. Dallas, title. There is no escrow. There is that. There isn't that, right? Um, earnest money deposits aren't that important in Texas for what we're hearing. It's like 10 bucks. Um, there's a lot of differences between the two states that we didn't really, we knew there'd be differences, but didn't anticipate it. I'm more of a just jump in kind of person. I'm like, we'll figure it out as we go. We right. could sit here and try to do the research on it all day long, mm-hmm. or we can just start getting deals and seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, having our dispo person in California and having properties in Texas, the relationships are harder to build. Um, so for us, I mean, we are JVing with some people in Texas mm-hmm. as well. So if anyone's listening, they got a good buyer's list, um, reach out because 
potentially we will use you guys to JV some deals. I think we got seven deals in the past couple weeks there. Um, we have an acquisitions guy on the ground locking things up, but ultimately we, we need to get that stuff going and we yeah. didn't anticipate some of those little things. Um, so that's our biggest challenge we're encountering right now. And we also have uh, a new team that we're working with in Portland, Oregon and Vancouver, Washington. So that's a whole new market for us. Mm -hmm. We're partnering with somebody else on a, uh, his current company. So we kind of took that whole staff under our wing and we're starting to train them. So we pretty much just got like another nine team members doing that. Um, kind of doing what I want to do with like Marcus Limonis. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Let me fix your business and I'll just take half your company. Yeah. And the business that's there, it's a great business. It's That yeah. business was bigger than mine. Yeah. Um, the guy that owns it, fantastic. He knows the stuff he's doing. Uh, he knows he's so good at creative deal structure, mm -hmm. which I'll be honest, I suck at. Uh, he's not as good at operations. I'm very good at operations. Right. So we were able to share our talents with each other. We're going in and we're going to run his team. He's going to come just train my team and immerse them in all this creative deal structure. Yeah. And uh, he's going to do with my team what he does well. So we're almost trading services in a way. But in turn, we're going to get his company hopefully growing to a point where he's like, didn't even see possible because yeah. that's just not the side of what he does. So you can work together with people. We can't always think of people as competition. Yeah. We'll help people out. We do a lot of deals with people. We do JV deals. You have to look at people as friends, not competition every time. Absolutely. Uh, what is the greatest lesson you've learned? Wow, there's a lot of lessons I've learned. <clears throat> I don't want to be negative with this one, but be careful who you trust. Mm -hmm. So there's, I've been burned. I've been burned by somebody that I thought was a very good friend. Um, that unfortunately, sucks. yeah, it, it ended bad. Uh, I won't go into that fully, right. but that one there hurt me mm -hmm. and it surprised me. Um, the person that I'm going to work with in the Portland area, I'm there because he got burned from somebody he trusted. Uh, I know a few people that's happened with. Right. So, well, it's great to have people, well, it's great to lift people up, especially friends. And I, I'm the first person to want to offer friends opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. um, be careful how quick you do something like that, because there's a certain thing when you get to a level of success where there's almost a jealousy factor that almost comes in and people want what you have mm -hmm. and they'll do anything to get it. And even if that means screwing over a friend. Yeah. So the biggest lesson I learned is to trust, but trust with caution. Yeah. Give it a little bit of time. Don't rush into, I'll, I'll trust anyone I meet until they give me a reason not to, but I'm not going to hand them the keys to my office. Yeah. So go a little longer before you hand them the keys. Makes total sense. Uh, Casey Tavault wants to know, uh, how are you showing structure if the property is owner occupied? Casey Tavault. So if you're in the California area, Casey is an awesome investor friendly realtor. Uh, good guy. Um, most of our properties are owner occupied. So when we we set the expectation up front when we're getting the contract signed, basically saying we will need to bring our team through. Um, they're going to come through. Some investors are going to come through and look at the property. We'll call and schedule a time that works. If you want to be here, fantastic. If you don't, we can work out a key. Yeah. Um, some owners will give a key and the most want to be there because their stuff is in the house. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll bring a few. We're not bringing 10 through at once. So we'll bring a couple people. Yeah. Um, if you bring too many people, you'll get people that start talking to the seller. 
oh, so it's this price? And you're like, what are you talking to the seller for? Right. Get out of there. <laughs> um, so we will bring a few people through, but most of the time sellers will let us come through a couple times and they won't argue. You'll get that one person that's really sticky with it, but it just means you got to develop a little more rapport with them and then go back and try it again. Yeah. Um, but our contract, if we ever need to fall back on it, does say they have to allow us access. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then uh, Everardo Galvin wants to know, when did you realize you were able to make your first hire? So for me, I made my first hire after I had four months of consistent income. Now that's up and down a little bit, mm -hmm. but profitability. I, I don't like to hire until I know that I can support that person. Now that person is going to work hard for me, mm -hmm. but the way I look at it, when I bring somebody onto my business, they're leaving another job that pays them money. Now that money goes towards their family vacations, their mortgage, their groceries, their electric bill. I, I don't like how a lot of people say, hire two people and keep one. To me, that's messing with someone's life. Right. How about you just hire right, mm -hmm. right? So um, I started hiring after, it was about the fourth month when I brought my first hire on. And um, then I brought a second one on after that because I saw what the first hire could do when they were trained right. Mm -hmm. We saw our income just jump up. And the second person, income jumped up again. I'm like, wow, is it this easy? But then you make some bad hires. Right. You know, um, don't get your first deal and go hire. Let me clarify that. If you're talking about hiring cold callers overseas as marketing, that's different. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about hiring full-time people to actually work in an office or something like that, a lot of overhead goes into place. I mean, my company, my overhead is hundred grand a month. Marketing, salaries, office, all this kind of stuff. It adds up very quickly. Oh, it So does. you have to be very careful. The stupid thing I hate is a line item is <clears throat> dues, uh, subscriptions and dues. Mm -hmm. Podio, call rail, all that kind of stuff. It adds up. Like, oh my gosh, I'm spending like 4,000 a month on this stuff. 50 here, 400 there. Exactly, and it <laughs> adds up. So don't rush to hire. Make sure that you're actually making the money to support that hire prior to doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll end it here with Riggy's Tang, or well, the last question at least, why Dallas? So we did a lot of research on markets. Mm -hmm. um, we put a lot of research into demographics, we put a lot of research into unemployment, everything like that, demand. Dallas was, I wanna say number four on that list for us, but a mastermind I'm in, we're in, mm -hmm. um, it, basically when people are in certain markets, we don't out. go and compete with them. Yeah. Now, secondary markets are something we're eventually gonna have to talk about, but as of right now, we don't compete with them. So the first three that were on that list were St. Louis, I already know three people there and happen to be in the mastermind. Um, I don't remember what the other ones were, but there was people in all those markets. Mm -hmm. Dallas was the first one available that had people neighboring it, but nobody in it. And I said, I'm not going to go, no matter how much money I want to make, I'm not going to go screw over somebody I know. Right. So we steered clear of the other markets and went to Dallas. Very happy we did. I am. Dallas is doing even better than I could have ever even thought to this point. Mm -hmm. And if it keeps going the way it's going, we're going to have a full team on the ground there. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to let you come up with a last thought mm -hmm. and I'll make a couple of quick announcements. So guys, uh, as you guys may have heard, Max Mendes and I were doing a two day workshop this coming September, uh, September 20th and 21st. We're limiting access to only a select group of people. So 
you want to see if you can qualify to come to our workshop in Phoenix, please go to disruptors.com. Uh, and I am speaking in Houston, October 4th through 6th for Wholescaling Live. Go to wholescalinglive.com and put in R-E-D for 25% off. And I'll also be in uh, Biloxi with uh, Brent and Adam, newest members of our mastermind. Yeah. Uh, I'll be speaking there October 25th to 27th for Real Estate Roundup Live. So if you want to register for that, go to bit.ly slash R-E-R live. Uh, and next week, we've got Marco Romero coming in from San Antonio and Jeremy Tag from uh, Richland, Washington. So uh, action-packed week next week. So with that, last thoughts. So my advice to everyone is to use your time to network. So if you have meetups in your area, which I guarantee you do, I think my meetup has almost 900 members in it. We have 100 and some that show up to each meeting, but um, use that time to network with people. Go to meetups, go to your local RIAs. Most of them are free. Get in the room with like-minded people. Like I said, I had an issue with a friend in the past. You're gonna start realizing as you grow your business, your friends change. You're not gonna hang out with the people you were before. The people that wanna go drink every Friday, Saturday, even maybe even Sunday night. Um, your mentality shifts. You mm -hmm. start focusing on other things in life. You start having employees you're responsible for. And your life starts changing a lot. So get your mindset right. Get around people that actually want to do similar things as you and start building up another group of people, a support system to help you get where you want to go. Yep. I, I don't think I can say it any better. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, best way to get a hold of me, uh, most cases if it's JV deals, it goes to uh, my COO. Um, I don't even really look at my email, to be honest. So you can reach out to Mike at sjoinvestments.com. He Perfect. is going to hate me for that one, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him Scott sent you. Yeah, right? All right. So, guys, if you like the show, please share this episode right now because the rising tide does lift all boats. So thank you. Thank you. Crazy amounts of knowledge. Been fun. Yeah. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you.